Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Endo from Students Rising Above, and this is How I Made My Path. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying the voices of diverse working professionals. Every episode, you'll hear exclusive conversations that bridge experiences between students and professionals, offer new insights on career paths, and uncover ways of unlocking your full potential. These professionals made their own paths. You can too. Take it from them. For this episode of How I Made My Path, we're joined by SRA alumni, Irvin Buckner. Irvin is a counseling department chair for a Bay Area school district and helps students and families with academic, social and emotional support and career counseling in Burlingame, California. Prior to his current position, Irvin worked at a Bay Area mental health agency. Irvin earned his bachelor's degree from UC Berkeley and earned his master's in counseling from the University of San Diego's Department of Counseling and Marital and Family Therapy. He is a passionate advocate for equity and mental health. In this episode, he shares the importance of representation and his unique experience of working in the schools during the pandemic. This is how Irvin made his path. Welcome to the podcast. I will let you introduce yourself. If you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about you and maybe describe your career path? Yes. Hi. So uh, my name is Irvin Buckner. I am 29 years old. I'm uh, originally from San Jose, California. Um, currently, I am the department chair of counseling um, in a Bay Area district in the peninsula. A little bit about myself. Um, so I've been doing counseling for a few years now. Um, I have a passion for obviously education, um, equity. So I'm new to my current role as of two years now. Um, and essentially, I will be running the counseling department for my site. Really, the things that I focus on is obviously the academic piece, the social emotional, and the college and career aspect of things. Um, I think I'm going too much into my no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, that's totally fine. No worries. Okay. Um, I went to school in East San Jose, um, James Lake High School. From there, I attended UC Berkeley for undergrad, where I studied sociology and Spanish literature. Right after undergrad, my first very first job was in a mental health agency in the South Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, that lasted around two years, and I, you know, told myself I wanted to continue working in education, but I wanted to do so more so in a comprehensive site 
Um, mm-hmm. So I did a little bit more research on what I would like my role to be. Um, and from there, I decided to go to grad school to earn my master's in counseling. So I did that at the University of San Diego, um, graduated from my master's two years ago. From there, moved back to the Bay Area where I'm now doing counseling in the peninsula. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Um, It seems like you had a pretty clear vision for your career. The career development team has a saying that we share with students that not all career paths are linear, but it seems like yours was fairly linear. (laughs) So was (laughs) was there kind of like a moment or a point in your life where you're like, I want to do counseling, I want to work with youth or something along those lines? Yeah, I would say somewhat linear. Uh, my, you know, my family always valued education. Um, mm-hmm. I think they saw education as a mode for, for us to just better ourselves, to, mm-hmm. to find, a, to have a better future. Um, so I always took school pretty serious, you know, even in high school. I think I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Even when I was an undergrad, you know, I, I changed my major. I think I started with political science. Mm-hmm. I was like, eh, maybe, maybe not my thing, <laughs> or I don't know you know, if I would see myself doing that. So I got into, you know, sociology classes, learned just more about like background in general, about like just historical background on disparities and education and just like, you know, anything around our society. And yeah, I did see like education as being like a huge part of it. So when I took a few classes, I one, you know, solidified the importance of education, but also two, and some of my internships and doing like mentorship with younger students, I, you know, I saw myself really enjoying that and told myself like, hey, this is something I could see myself doing and actually really enjoying. So some of my experiences, and I think that drove me to that my first like actual job, which was that mental health agency. And, and you know, beyond there, um, I just, the one of the most rewarding things to me is seeing, you know, those small successes of students coming back or families telling me like, hey, you know, you made a difference. And, you know, that to me just feels me. So I told myself like, yeah, I think that's that's where I want to go in that direction. So I think, you know, those couple of years at my first job at the mental health agency, I think sort of like tied things up because it's not always just the educational piece or the academic piece. But, you know, just especially nowadays, too, with COVID and virtual learning, you know, the mental health aspect of things is so important, too. And it's so intertwined. So I think I'm at a pretty good mix right now where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always great when people, it like makes me happy when I see people doing things that they're really passionate about that they feel like inspired by every day. I think that's actually more rare. (laughs) So it's really great to hear that you find joy in in your work. So you mentioned like what you enjoy most about your job. Um, What would you say is the most challenging part of your job? Um, I think challenging is... um... Especially, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of like this, just this past year, building rapport. I mean, I feel like we've been living in such a like virtual world mm-hmm. where something like, you know, therapy, just counseling and things like that are, are obviously very personal. You know, you're building relationships, you're trying to build rapport to, to then at least at some point get to a, a breaking point, you know, of the relationship, a breakthrough or something. So I think it was it was more a lot more challenging this year to do that with you know turning on the computer and students or families being burnt out with their own things with classes with their own jobs and then hopping on in another zoom for another 40 minutes i think you know at some point everyone was just on edge with here we go signing up to another zoom so that made it difficult i think you know that building rapport just that motivational piece so i you know pre pandemic i ran groups you know motivational groups or just like any 
type of one-on-one session, it, it just came a lot harder with, with the computer piece now. Um, but beyond that, I would say um, not fixating on just data and numbers. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. since we come up in school, you're always taught, you know, like, oh, what are the numbers or, you know, what are your stats and, and look at the data. That's sort of like the, the marker of where you're at and doing things. And if, mm-hmm. I guess in my position, if you do that, you will have a lot of students who who fail. You will have mm-hmm. a, some students who maybe who you were working with and you were doing everything that you were supposed to do, who maybe, you know, had suicidal ideations, they mm-hmm. maybe didn't make it, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't just, you know, focus on those numbers because then, you know, like you, in, in your position, you will be burnt out like super quick. So I think just like really taking in those small victories, stepping back and seeing, you know, that you are making a difference for some of those students and families. Um, I think that's a hard thing to, to grow into. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the pandemic, even though like, I feel like we're kind of around the bend of recovery a little bit, uh, mental health has definitely been top of mind for a lot of folks. And so I know in conversation, a lot of people are talking about students and teachers, and we forget, you know, the mental health administrators that like yourself that are, you know, trying to create these safe spaces virtually, I would imagine it's really challenging has there been any um, kind of like successful ways in fostering that community and in supporting students virtually? Definitely. So, you know, our team, we've tried a lot of different things, but I think just, mm-hmm. you know, holding that space, like you said, um, specifically in my site, I think teachers, teachers from like leadership and like the welcome committee, they've done a really good job in sort of trying to foster the community feel of our campus. And so we mm-hmm. still do things of like, uh, I'm blanking. <laughs> Spirit okay. week, for example. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, you're on uh, Monday, everyone's going to be wearing red or Tuesday, everyone is going to wear their favorite sports team's jersey or something. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, while it's obviously not the same, you, you try to still build those um, little things that build community, especially for incoming students who maybe don't know anyone who maybe mm-hmm. are, you know, we're looking forward to that high school experience. And then here they are sitting in their living room for a whole year and they right. still haven't experience their high school, you know, feel. So I think, you know, little things like that. And then the counselors, you know, offering groups, you know, I think my site is very fortunate um, because we have obviously the counselors, but there's also like the wellness component specifically where yes, we're the first stop, you know, we do the social emotional academic piece from the college and career, but we also have therapists, full-time therapists on campus who could take care of, you know, additional concerns that, that they will have. So you know, it's been great. And it's also been eye opening where like, I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I am. Mm-hmm. But then I also look back at like my own high school years and think like, wow, like, I wonder how, you know, other students who were maybe struggling, like most schools definitely don't have all of the resources that we have uh, where I work right now. So I think that's also been eye opening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like the pandemic has definitely made it so that a lot of issues that have already existed kind of come front and center. And it's to a point where like they can't be ignored anymore, like the disparities that exist regarding access to internet or technology needed to do the distance learning or things like food insecurity, like those things existed before the pandemic, but finally kind of have gotten more attention, I guess, because of it. So I was kind of wondering if there was anything that you felt like as a counselor from a counselor standpoint that stood out as something that has kind of always existed as a concern, but was amplified by the pandemic? 
Absolutely. Um, so at my site, I also serve as a foster youth liaison for, for my site. And the cases that we get, um, like you said, it, they were always there, but they just came to the front. And, you know, parents actually reaching out and saying like, hey, you know, we, we don't have anywhere to stay. Or, you know, there's maybe an upcoming standardized test for the whole site. Student has nowhere to stay a few weeks before. And now they're just, you know, thrown into the mix. So a lot of those things definitely came up for us. And I think, you um, you hit it in the nail when you said, you know, like the disparities, you know, we have some students who don't even have internet. Right. Um, you know, this is at the beginning of the school year. Um, <clears throat> so our side and our district, you know, I think they did a really good job sort of like managing and surveying those families who maybe need like hotspots or, mm-hmm. you know, like come to campus um, and, you know, we'll, we'll set you up with a space here. But mm-hmm. all those things just became so difficult. You know, we have on one side us offering those things, but then on the other side, you know, families are still scared of coming to campus in person. Maybe they mm-hmm. have someone at home who's compromised uh, right. with their health or they just don't have the transportation to come to school now since parents are maybe working from home or things like that. So it's mm-hmm. just it, it definitely became difficult. So I think, you know, again, our administration did a good job opening like learning pods and, you know, options for students to, to work. But I think, you know, being in that position and looking back at my own experience in high school and just, you know, in my own education, it really exemplified like the, wow, I wonder what other schools or other districts are doing because it's, Mm -hmm. we're struggling with having, you know, good amount of resources. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine how other struggling districts or just cities are doing with, with our kids who are low income. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that at the very least, even though the pandemic has obviously been pretty terrible for a lot of people, I hope that some good can come of it and that there is like lasting change in schools, especially those that may not have the funding and the resources that other schools may have. But it's great to hear that you and your um, team have been able to support your students the way that you have. Something that has been also top of mind for me, um, so like (laughs) personal anecdote, I turned 26 back in March and was changing insurances and was looking for my own like counselor and therapist. And I found that it was pretty white and it was pretty female dominated, which is not what I was specifically looking for. And so I did a little bit of digging. And according to the American Psychological Association in 2019, 70% of the psychology workforce was female identifying and 83% of the psychology workforce was white and 95% without reported diverse abilities. So, which obviously is not representative of the U.S. population. Mm -hmm. And even, yeah, like even from my own experience, just looking for my own therapist, it was pretty apparent. How important do you think representation is in the mental health care space? Um, and what what has your experience been like professionally and personally as a non-white, non-female identifying person? I appreciate that question. Um, I think it's it's everything. Representation, like I said, you know, I think that goes back to, to building rapport. You know, mm-hmm. I think we see it in, in teaching and pedagogy, how maybe some students who can't relate to teachers aren't as willing to to engage, aren't mm-hmm. as willing to maybe have the level of respect that they would have for someone who they could see themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think absolutely 100% um, the fact that, you know, in, in this, I guess, these careers, students who maybe at times even need it the most can really access someone who maybe they'll be able to build those relationships with. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, you know, I, 
that, to be completely honest, didn't even hit me until I was in grad school. You know, when I was an undergrad, I didn't take many psychology courses. But I was mm-hmm. taking more sociology courses, obviously Spanish, some political science courses, mm-hmm. even, you know, gender study courses. But most of those classes were pretty even in terms of, you know, gender breakdown. And, you know, obviously looking back, I'm like, yeah, I guess I've had mostly female teachers and, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Um, but it wasn't until my very first day of uh, grad school and, you know, the counseling program where I'm like, oh, I think I saw three guys and then everyone <laughs> else is female. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I guess it's obvious, but I, it, it never crossed my mind. But you're absolutely right. And, you know, luckily in my department, it is two females and then two males. So that's nice. But I think overall thinking about my district and just like where I've interned, definitely, like mm-hmm. you said, it's it's mostly female. And I think, you know, like we, especially this year and last summer with, you know, a lot of different things coming to the surface, these students struggling with mental health who maybe aren't willing to reach out to someone that they they know they won't connect with, that maybe mm-hmm. they know that they won't understand their lived experiences. So I think that in itself was definitely one of my biggest um, motivators, I would say, to, to pursue this because I knew, you know, there's a lot of students, male, female of color who maybe need that, you know, mm-hmm. that even not even counselor therapist, but even just a mentor who mm-hmm. will support them, who will understand, understand them a little bit more. Um, and I think so one of the biggest things that I've focused on is uh, the term cultural competency mm-hmm. um, that, you know, many therapists definitely need to work on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, that's one of the hardest things to do when one, you, you maybe haven't lived any of those experiences, but, you know, putting yourself into it. And, and, you know, that's, that's like step one of being a therapist. You, you, you learn about what's going on. You put yourself in those person's shoes and you, you try to understand what's going on, but it's, it just makes it 10 times harder when you're coming from just a different lived experience. So I think that's one thing that I definitely enjoyed. And then I do see uh, in my own personal work. So specifically, you know, where I work right now. So I do work in the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, my specific side is predominantly um, Caucasian. Um, so I have seen a lot of my Latino and just like students of color gravitate towards me. So, you know, mm-hmm. like most comprehensive schools, it's broken down by alpha. But I have seen, you know, students who maybe English isn't their first language or just especially Spanish speaking families who definitely gravitate towards me when they maybe see me or <laughs> they know mm-hmm. that I speak Spanish. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely see almost like a relief. You know, there's someone there. And obviously, though, that's not to say that, you know, my other team members aren't aware or anything like that. But I think it's just like human nature to gravitate. And, you know, mm-hmm. I guess they, they definitely just I could see them feeling more comfortable coming to me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. I'm also wondering what you think kind of could be done either in professional spaces or maybe like the education pipeline to encourage and empower a more diverse mental health workforce like maybe common barriers that could be addressed or things like that. That's kind of a big question, but. <laughs> yeah. Huh? No, definitely. That's, that's a really good question. And so some of the work that I do on the side with the task force from the district mm-hmm. is, um, you know, we're looking at hiring practices. We're looking mm-hmm. at representation. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a difficult battle <laughs> you know, yeah. no way to sugarcoat because, you know, especially me being new in the position, being new to my career, essentially too, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm starting off. Um, mm-hmm. I have been lucky to have really good mentors who, you know, give me a voice and now, you know, being the department chair, but I think getting to that table where like the decisions are made, I think that's, that's the difficult part. And, you know, so, so the task force that, that I'm working with, they definitely, 
you know, have conversations about this and we're looking at data. We're also so specifically too, we're having like uh, out of the counties, out of district, like trainers come and talk to us about, you know, things like cultural competency, things, uh, um, responsive teaching, keeping in mind, you know, background, race, identity, and all that, that maybe hasn't been as important for, you know, superintendents in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, for that question, I mean, one, I, I don't have a specific answer, but I would say, you know, like just looking at hiring processes and the pools, you know, not, not a lot of, stu- of, of applicants who, who maybe have those backgrounds. So I think it, it definitely starts early, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm looking back and thinking of my own experience, you know, it's not like I had like a, a, a specific figure or a specific like model that I was following, like, oh, I want to follow their footsteps that mm-hmm. even look like me or anything like that. So I think that by itself makes it really difficult. You know, I think kids that grew up where I grew up, you know, like, oh man, I, you know, I, I want to play basketball or, I, <laughs> you know, I want to play soccer. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's who you strive to be because that's like someone that, you know, you grew up with that. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, changing that narrative of like, you know, that's cool. And, you know, while we all still enjoy maybe that narrative, like you could do a lot more with that. You know, you, you are more than capable of doing bigger things. And I think that's, Part of the job that I enjoy as well, you know, I think on the flip side of things too, changing the narrative, you know, maybe for a lot of families and in my specific site where again, you know, it's, it's a, it's a wealthy part of the Bay area. Um, you see someone who is counseling their student or counseling, even, you know, the family and they look like me. So I think I enjoy the fact that, yeah, maybe that's the first person that they see that looks like me mm-hmm. uh, in that position. So I think, you know, just breaking that narrative of like, oh no, this, this specific career is for, you know, white women or this specific thing is just for white males. Mm-hmm. Um, just changing the narrative, I think is, is a, it's a, start I think too I mean obviously it's a it's a multi-layered situation mm-hmm. and culturally for a lot of various cultures mental health is not something that's sought out and so I would imagine too there is that layer of working through maybe cultural stigmas mm-hmm. of seeking out help and then of course like encouraging folks to pursue a profession in that space <laughs> it's like another step But it's great to hear that you're actively working towards equity and encouraging folks to pursue this space. So just to back up just a little bit. So you started mentioning kind of what you do um, as the counseling department chair. Um, I'd like to learn a little bit more um, about what the day-to-day looks like. And I know you're newer to the position you mentioned, but so far, what does the day-to-day look like for you? Yeah, so I guess I'd like to speak on it as if the pandemic never existed. So, you know, (laughs) seeing students actually in person and not the computer version of, of what it looked like. But, um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I think first and foremost, we're, we're a resource that's available on campus Mm -hmm. all day. So essentially first priority is just students coming in and talking to us, Mm -hmm. you know, again, this year we mostly, um, transferred to like an appointment system because, you know, there was no like just drop in video where we would just stay on camera the whole time. So it was up uh, by appointment, which um, if anything, we'll keep that portion of it because we did Mm -hmm. enjoy, you know, just having our, our website and you clicking a time that works for you. I think that that's really good, especially maybe for parents who work, they could just pick a time and then we could meet like that. Um, But beyond that, you know, just, you know, being available in our office to talk about anything, this year, no surprise, we saw a lot more crisis management. So I think that mm-hmm. was something that was more apparent this year compared to last year. Mm-hmm. So crisis management, you know, you know, students being at home for one year um, straight, 
you know, mm-hmm. things are going to come up. So there's definitely right. a lot of stuff to talk about and break down there with relationships, parent relationships, maybe some students, you know, wanting to not be in the home anymore. So just, you know, a lot of crisis management, case management with the students there. On the on the other side of things, of course, you know, we we serve as pretty much case managers for their educational portfolio. So, you know, we're, we're following, you know, how they're doing since freshman year. We even look at files, obviously, since, you know, first grade to, to just see where they're at with everything, placement with classes, making sure that we meet with them, um, with parents as well to see, you know, what their goals are, uh, where they're at right now, and how we could get them to that goal. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a four-year college, we we start making a plan, a specific plan with them, with the families on what they need to do. If the student needs to, you know, take additional courses at in summer school, we help out with, you know, internships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, again, a, a pretty good comprehensive uh, college and career center. You know, so so we we try to find good internships for them, maybe jobs that are relevant to, to what they want to do. But yeah, I mean, it, it's funny you ask that in the day to day because I feel like every day is so different too. Mm-hmm. Where like one day you're you're maybe doing a safety assessment for a few hours of someone who's maybe um, has suicidal ideation, and then you know the next day we're hosting like a career day or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks pretty different. But you know, overall, I think we just keep the best interests of the student. We field any questions that families have, and again, we we really do hold mental health, you know, as a primary thing because you know we can't um and and again I say this because our side our district is I would say is a high achieving site Mm -hmm. so you know we always have the the mentality of like okay we're striving for for the best UC we're striving to for the best private school we Mm want to go to the Ivy League school and now with everything going on on not just the pandemic just in society in general I think you know if we disregard all those things and just like focus on and pretend that all you have to do is, you know, make sure you pass AP calculus. It, it's <laughs> not going to go well. Um, right. So, you know, everything's tied in in our day to day and just making sure that we're we're, we're tracking to to see if everyone, you know, is, is taken care of, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Sounds pretty like holistic having to approach different aspects of a student's life, of course, which is great to hear because <laughs> that's obviously super important. When you started working kind of as a school counselor or in your current position, was there anything about it that was surprising to you or unexpected than, you know, what you had envisioned it to be? Um, you know, not nothing surprising, but I would say since I've been at different sites, um, so, you know, obviously did my internships down in San Diego where I went to grad school, I think um, the different areas really taught me how just how different sites operate. So for example, Mm -hmm. you know, down in San Diego, a lot of my focus was on supporting students who were transnational students. So those students who would actually commute from across the border from Mexico every morning just to go to high school here. So Mm -hmm. a lot of those students, you know, had different maybe goals. They Mm -hmm. had different expectations. um, And obviously the families as well, you know, Mm -hmm. flip to where I'm working right now in the peninsula, you know, where obviously the goals change, the expectations Mm -hmm. change. Um, So I guess not uh, surprising just like the, my overall position, but mostly how different it becomes by sight. Um, You know, your, your whole day just looks so different when you're like supporting a student, maybe just, you know, getting them through their day by day, or just like giving them advice and support on like just how to get by versus like, you know, you're almost molding students to, to get to a, a, 
very lofty goals, for example, mm -hmm. on, you know, on this side. So mm -hmm. it was just different, um, you know, to where it was very surprising to see the, the difference, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess, in, in a way, that's a nice thing to know for folks who are interested in pursuing a role in school counseling, because just knowing that there is that variation. So, you know, if you do want to focus on one thing or another, that is possible. I'm also wondering, so you went to grad school to get your master's. Congratulations, by the way. That's awesome. <laughs> um, how did you go about deciding a master's program to apply to? Yeah. So I guess this was a while ago now, but so when I was still working at my, uh, the mental health agency, again, I, I just knew I wanted to keep going with the mental health piece, but I also, again, really enjoyed like the college going aspect of of the position. So I wanted to be at a comprehensive school. So I started doing some research about, you know, like what position that is, or like, you know, I, I didn't know, like off, right after Berkeley, like, Ooh, I want to be a school counselor. I, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just researching like what the position is, what it requires. And then I started seeing, you know, like, oh, okay, mental health. And there was different, I guess, types. There's like the, the clinical mental health, there was like the school counseling side of things. So, you know, in filtering schools, I saw that, you know, San Diego had a program that offered essentially both. And I also knew that there was really good research opportunities, which is something that I really wanted to, to, I guess, you know, take advantage of, you know, coming from Berkeley, I think just, I was definitely not looking for a huge campus, you know, I definitely enjoyed like the, the whole huge lecture halls and all that. But I think I was thinking to myself, like, okay, well, this is going to be definitely more specific. And I wanted it to be a smaller school. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I knew one that it was a smaller school. Um, I also knew that I wanted to do research. So I think mm -hmm. in filtering those options, talking to some of my colleagues too. So I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to work with colleagues that were already therapists, colleagues who were doing counseling. So I, you know, picked their brain and, you know, talked about different things. And I think um, the biggest thing too, um, and I tell my students, this is like, you know, visiting the campuses too, visiting where you're going to school is huge mm -hmm. um, because you, you could have uh, this thing in your head where like, oh, I definitely want to go to the East Coast and that's my dream. It looks cool on TV. And then you step there and it's like negative five degrees <laughs> and you hate yourself. You hate yourself. So I think <laughs> going down there and just seeing it and thinking to myself like, yeah, this is it. Like, I think it's time to get out of the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, made it easier too. But beyond that too, I think the, the specific program, you know, I met, I guess you call him my mentor now. Um, he was like the chair of the program at the time. And we just connected right away. I asked him like, do you guys do any research or anything? He's like, um, why don't you email me? He told me. Um, and I emailed him <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it was after interviews happen and, you know, ap applications, he reached out to me and he just offered me to be his um, research assistant. So, you know, I think things just like lined up nicely for me to, to say like, okay, I think this should be a no brainer. I, I know what I want to do. It sounds like things are panning out the way that it, they should. So I, you know, I, I said, sure. <laughs> and, and obviously, you know, like no regrets there, but I think just like researching the school, um, you know, and the, the other piece too, again, going back to the, the fact that there was like a clinical mental health side and the school counseling aspect as well is that when you do counseling programs, you have the option of most of them are two years, like most masters, I would say, but there was a third year option um, mm -hmm. where you could get a different, different like license, which to me at the time seemed uh, appealing, you know, sort of would be like you being able to open like your own private practice. 
points. Um, so that's something that's, you know, an, an option as well. So, you know, at this point, you could take your career different ways um, mm-hmm. where you could, you know, work for district, you could do your own thing with just specifically more on the mental health side. And um, the other aspect where I was also attracted to that specific school is because of the possibility of just down the line, maybe getting a PhD. So, you know, I think all that crunched together. I'm like, this is where I'm going. <laughs> Do you ever foresee yourself going back into research? Um, yes, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think that was one of my favorite aspects of just like the program. My mentor just, who was also a professor, obviously, he just gave me the opportunity to say like, you know, he's like, this is the data I have. Like we're, we're crunching numbers, but, you know, just going out to the field or doing like the interview pieces and then like actually seeing the results is, is just really cool. So one of the coolest things that we we did is um we presented our research in Italy. So we did like a wow. study where we interviewed counselors from all over the world, mm-hmm. from uh, countries in Africa, obviously counselors in Italy where we were presenting, but also, you know, other parts of the U.S., Latin America as well. Um, and we just, and you, you might've mentioned this too, you know, one of the biggest things too is how they operate is, you know, it also depends on the stigma, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we have some Asian counselors that we interviewed um, who say, you know, like we, we aren't even going to talk about mental health, you know, like a lot of our stuff we, we don't share. So there's actually not like a lot of, you know, students or young students saying like, I want to be a counselor because that mental health is not something that's really, I guess, talked about. Um, So it's just really enlightening to just like learn the different aspects. And so, I mean, that by itself was like one of my favorite things that that I did, just learning the profession, not only how it looks in California or the U.S., but just around the world. So I would say yes, if I had the opportunity, definitely more research. Yeah, that research sounds super cool, too. And the fact Mm -hmm. that you were able to go to Italy sounds awesome. Yeah. For like college, like current college students or new grads who are interested in pursuing counseling, uh, maybe like specifically in K through 12 settings, what are some of the things that they can do like right now that they can prepare for that type of career? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, I would, um, you know, if I was talking to them or mentoring, I would ask, you know, what? type of experience they've had with, you know, as simple as like doing any type of mentorship to young students or even like mm-hmm. a camp counselor or anything like that, where they've shown like leadership skills or the ability of running like a team. You know, I think right now, um, yeah, you know, depending on what their major was in college, of course, you know, if they have any type of background in psychology or sociology or anything like that, or even if, even if you don't, you know, just looking at my first question to them would really be, why you want to do this, you know, like what's the the motivation piece, you know, I think um, I, I sort of touched on that earlier is because if you don't have that, that thing that motivates you, you, I think it's such an easy feel to just like burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, burnout is, is a thing, you know, definitely, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm new to the position, but I've been lucky to have a mentor who, you know, we talk about, you know, work is work. And then, you know, you, you go home and you forget about it because, you know, we're, we're not just, you know, counseling about, you know, schedules, we're talking about heavy things and, you know, mm-hmm. mental health or against suicidal ideation, or we have students who maybe complete suicide and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I think them having, you know, that's that piece that motivates them to, to know that they'll not only be successful, but then that won't burn them out, you know, something that a fuel that keeps them going. So I think that would be my first question to them. But I think if they're, you know, fresh out of college wanting to explore that is, um, 
you know, getting some type of experience in the field, you know, it doesn't have to be right away your uh, licensed counselor or anything, obviously, but just any type of experience mentoring students um, would be really helpful. Um, and then from there, again, you know, like researching where they would want to do their master's, um, you know, most, if not all, at least in California, do require a master's to be a counselor. So, um, you know, doing that research and, and going from there, I would say. Yeah, getting some experience first and then kind of taking it, taking it from there. You mentioned burnout, and I think the term is pretty common in the nonprofit world as well. What are some things that you do to prevent yourself from burning out and to take care of yourself and to de-stress? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely very important. So I'm a huge uh, sports fan. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, just before this interview that was coming uh, back from watching a huge soccer game in Denver uh, with friends. So, you know, just like, especially now that we're, you know, going around the corner with a pandemic, you know, things are opening up back up, seeing friends, you know, concerts. Um, I live near um, the lagoon. So just like kayaking. I love, yeah, I, I love to be near the water. So kayaking, you know, just going out with friends, hanging out, because I think, yeah, you know, that's, that's a huge piece where like, if you let things from work come to your home, I think that's when you start burning out when you don't, when you're not able to differentiate, you know, after you're, (laughs) you've clocked out, and then you're still thinking about those things, I think that makes it really difficult. And I think, you know, not only for for my profession, but just like anyone, I think that's what that's one of the biggest pieces and having conversations with families where like, you're working your full day, and then you're not really ending your day, you're just pressing a button, and you're just like in the same place, people didn't really feel like they were, you know, ending their day. So I think being things go back to normal or whatever that is to to be able to start that difference of work and then home. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Doing things for yourself is so important. And avoiding that burnout can be challenging when you're in it. But I'm glad that you're taking care of yourself too, as you take care of other people. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. Of course. So we're almost at time. So I want to ask my closing questions. So I have two of them. So the first one is, what's the best advice you've received? (laughs) It's also (laughs) a big question. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, I can't pick just one. But one Mm -hmm. of the ones that I guess became more relevant um, now as an adult would be like, don't, don't listen to to the noise. And Mm. what that means to me nowadays is, you know, you'll always have, you know, your supporters, your family, your, your close friends, partner, whatever supporting you, but you know, it's inevitable to, to still hear the the noise where, you know, you hear comments like, Oh, well, you know, you you got into Berkeley because you're Brown or Mm. you, you got where you're at right now because you're one of the few male counselors, things like that. So, you know, you, if you let things like that get to you, I feel like, you know, you one, exacerbate the feeling of this um, imposter syndrome that I think is very common for for non-traditional maybe students of color and mm-hmm. spaces that you know a lot of us maybe strive but aren't we're not as we don't frequent those spaces um, mm-hmm. so I would say you know just like making sure that you own that you deserve where you're at you know and I feel like a lot of the students that we work and and with SRA you know we're we're all hoping for a better future and you know if if along those lines something um <laughs> you hear comments like that like oh you're not deserving of this space or anything like that like that's that's absolutely not true um so I would say that I mean yeah there I mean I've had so many mentors that I owe a lot to I mean including <laughs> from SRA that I can't even think of a specific one but I think that's one of the ones that's most relevant right now mm-hmm. thanks for mentioning that And then my second closing question is, what's the best advice you could give your younger self? 
think the best advice I would give my younger self is to appreciate the journey. You know, it's, it's been a really rewarding journey. Um, and you know, it's, it's definitely not over. Um, I'm enjoying where I'm at right now, but I think just appreciating the people who have helped along the way, keeping in touch with them and just making sure that you, you do, you do things with the purpose, you know, that you find the motivation to do things. I think we, we see it on TV. We see it on just movies on like the, the word passion and you know, for the longest, I, I didn't, one, maybe I didn't take it serious or I didn't understand what it was, you know, like, oh, well, I love sports. Is that passion? But just like now, you know, being in the workforce and I do think to myself, like, if I hated my job, how can I do this every single day? So mm-hmm. I think now I fully understand, like, understand what you want to do, focus and just, you know, you are rewarded by doing something that you enjoy doing every day. And I think that's something I would tell me. Yeah, thanks so much. That's great advice. All right. Well, thank you again for joining and for all the great advice and things about your experience you've shared. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Caitlin. For our next episode, we're joined by SRA alumni, Maria Bernal. Maria is a health reporter and social media coordinator at the Richmond Pulse. She is also a current journalism master's student at UC Berkeley. Hear from Maria and learn how she has made her path. The How I Made My Path podcast is a program of Students Rising Above, a nonprofit organization working at the intersections of racial equity, education, and workforce development to create transformative change for low-income first-generation students. This podcast and all the services provided by SRA would not be possible without the generous support of our donors. Please consider making a donation to support our work by visiting studentsrisingabove.org, where you can also learn more about SRA. For more information on our podcast, check out at mypathpodcast on Instagram. Music created by SRA alum Alex Arango. And that's it for today. I'm Caitlin Endo. See you next time.